The Sports Zella Show starts now. Enter at your own risk. How's it hanging? I'm David Pumpkins, and I'm going to scare the hell out of you. I'm David Pumpkins. I know, but like, who are you? I'm David Pumpkins, man. Okay, yeah, yeah, and David Pumpkins is his own thing. And the skeletons are part of it. Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Fame and Scoop. Does Halloween tomorrow trump the fact that there's a Game 7 tonight? We'll get to that in one second. Matt, the glue guy, as Scoop and Rain join you on the Sportzilla Show, posted on our Twitter at ESPN Sportzilla. Well, posted on his Twitter, and I shared this on our Twitter LeBron James on the bench yesterday in the Lakers game, sitting there for a minute, taking a breather, and he's screaming out because today's Wednesday, but yesterday was Taco Taco Tuesday. Tuesday. And then he does, and the fans were calling for him. They're hollering at him. So he turned around, he indulged them, and then he gave them that at the end. I thought that was kind of funny, and it inspired me to bring this to the table for you. Because if I'm Kawhi Leonard and I'm sitting there and I saw that, even on my phone, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> Kawhi Leonard's laugh all day. All day. Best meme ever going around. Uh. scoop. Brendan Burke will be joining us today. For those that don't know and are not familiar with Berkey, we're bringing Berkey back. Brendan was originally uh, started. I went to Ithaca College and then he was the voice of Peoria Rivermen, who are no longer even in the ECHL. They were an AHL franchise. That franchise became the bitter rival of the Syracuse Crunch, the Utica Comets. He spent three seasons there. Then he got a job for MSG on television as the play-by-play for the New York Islanders. Nice little career advancement there. Taking over for Howie Rose, who you know if you're a Mets fan and perhaps listen to the games right here on ESPN Radio in Syracuse. Well, needless to say, he's done a lot of other things. He's called numerous playoff games for NBC Sports Network. He called the national game last night for my favorite team, the Rangers, against the NHL parent club of the Syracuse Crunch, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So he's going to talk to us at about 3.15. He's called AHL All-Star Games, Scoop. He's called numerous games for the Comets against the Crunch in the Onondaga War Memorial. Take it from there. Well, he's done college football, too. He's got a pretty expansive resume that's not limited to hockey. I think he's done lacrosse. I was about to say he did for the inaugural season of professional lacrosse this past year. And obviously lacrosse is kind of a big deal in Syracuse up at the university on the hill. So a guy named Jim Brown is pretty good. Oh, yeah. He didn't just play football, you mean? He was a hell of a lacrosse player. He was a great athlete, wasn't he? So we get to talk to Berkey about all things actually with no Islanders angle on this some Rangers stuff. I'm kind of excited. I was texting him last night. I'm like, it's kind of a treat to hear you not having to talk about the rivalry and straight Rangers. Well, he got a little social media flack on Twitter because he's an Islanders announcer. 
doing the Rangers game on NBCSN. So he got he got a little ribbing there. And then he he actually just shared the tweet with some responses to that from yesterday. I haven't seen that. Yet. I just put that in the at ESPN Sportzilla Twitter feed. So we'll be talking to Berkey. He's a lot of fun. We go back a long way with Berkey, full disclosure. Uh, the Sportzilla show was started out as an entity on an ESPN affiliate in the Utica market for the past five years. So uh, we've spent a lot of time on the airwaves with Berkey over the years. Dude knows his stuff. Great guy. I'm hyped to talk to him. But it's a game seven tonight, Scoop. How awesome. This is what you dream about as a kid. I'm sorry, but generally when you're in the backyard playing sports with your buds, the kids in the neighborhood, you generally didn't go, there's 15 seconds on the clock and I'm on the five-yard line and I got to run it into the end zone to win the Super Bowl. No, you reenacted the ninth inning. Two outs. Game seven of the World Series. That's what you did. Now, I don't know. Kids today, maybe they're pretending that they're Christian Ronaldo or some soccer great. I don't know. I was I'm not in touch with the kids beyond the mosh pit. Everybody remember back in the day, it was it was like I was Dr. J. I wanted to fly and dunk. I couldn't even jump and hit the bottom of the net See, with the I tip think of my kids fingers. do that more. They they emulate the basketball stars than they do football stars, really. It's Steph Curry though, now. It's Steph Curry. Right, Millennial? When I was growing up, it was Kobe. Yeah. Kids now it's it's Steph Curry. Everybody wants to shoot the three ball. People- People would emulate Jordan, remember that? Of course. You're playing horse or whatever in the driveway with the hoop. Sticking your tongue out like he always did, pretending you could jump from the foul line. Maybe even uh, emulating GMAC. Absolutely. I think there was a lot, a lot of people in the Syracuse area or Syracuse fans were emulating GMAC. He started the three. It's, it's him. He's the reason for Steph Curry right now. Maybe he was watching when he was a young boy and emulated G-Mac. He didn't chew his mouth guard, did he? I don't think so. We're going to get to some G-Mac in a little while, too, and some SU basketball. But I just wanted to, as I like to share with you, how it ended. And the people that, the guys on the team, on the Nationals, that brought them to where we are tonight, which is a Game 7. Steven Strasburg, 8 and 2 thirds, ridiculous. Juan Soto again. Anthony Rendon. They, they all basically are the reasons. They're the MVPs of the game from yesterday. But here's how it sounded. Cabrera is there, and the Nationals have forced Game 7. 7-2 seven to two is the final. This journey for the Nationals, it's not over, but it's been incredible. Scoop and Rain here on the Sportzilla Show, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. So there is a Game 7 in the World Series tonight. It's winner take all. The season is over after tonight, and Kate Upton there to console Verlander, who is... That's tough, boy. Tough to be him. Not seven World Series starts has not won any of them. Exactly. But he goes home to her. He's won at life. He's won. Thank at you life. very much. He's chosen. That's a the deal World I Series. would take. I would take that deal. Dude is crap in the World Series. Can't get it done on the biggest stage of baseball. But he's, to, to be fair, he's had some decent starts. Oh yes, and he's had some good innings, but. Not able to seal the deal and get those World Series wins. Who would you rather have in the playoffs, Clayton Kershaw or Verlander? Kate Upton. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have, based on the wording that you chose there, I would rather have Kate Upton. That's all I'm going to say. You know, it's amazing. Home teams in 2019, uh, it's lose, 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 lose. And then lose. If it keeps with the trend, then you expect that the road team wins again tonight and the Nationals win the World Series. 
This has never happened before. Yeah, never before have the rogue teams won each of the first six games of a World Series. Never, ever, ever. It's even caught the attention of Sportsnet and Canada Scoop. 2019 World Series, first best of seven series in major North American pro sports history. Major League Baseball, NHL, NBA, where the road team has won each of the first six games. The Nationals are 3-1 and one against Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander in the World Series. It's a parade-worthy accomplishment. Another tweet. They still need to win over Zach Greinke to hoist the trophy. Game 7, Greinke and Scherzer for all the marbles. Who are you more secure with as your starting pitcher going into this? Let's assume... Maybe Scherzer wasn't as banged up, but maybe strategically they thought it's going to come down to this. We want him with a little extra rest at his best going against Granke. Then you've got Pat Corbin to back him up. It's really all hands on deck for all the teams because there's no more baseball to be played. But I have a little bit more faith in Max Scherzer at this point than Granke. I'm not saying Granke won't put up a decent start, even what's called a quality start. But Scherzer has the ability to do what Strasburg did last night. He really does. Well, I would. I would be with you on that, but I'm concerned about the shot of painkillers or whatever. You know, I mean, he was loosening up last night. We thought we might see him last night uh, as a possibility until the home run was hit and a little insurance was bought. But how injured is he? Really? You know, I mean, I considered the possibility that maybe there's a little more gamesmanship involved with this injury than they're letting on. But I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily buy that either because I think they would have trotted him out if they could in game five. Uh, but do you risk waiting when you need to win right, every game? Right now, I'd be with Zach Greinke. Otherwise, if we didn't have the shoulder and neck spasms or whatever he has going on back there. With no injury concerns whatsoever. I'd, I'd be with Scherzer. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I guess both points are relevant, and I guess that's why you got to play the games. We're going to see the result, what affects what pitcher, and how it all breaks down. Mike Vaccaro for the New York Post, I referenced him the other day on the Sports Hill Show, but I want to bring up something else he said on Twitter. He, he put this out. Serious question. His words, not mine. Are hockey referees under as much fire as relentlessly as umpires, football officials, and basketball referees? And all pertaining, of course to the terrible call involving Trey Turner last night that ultimately got Dave Martinez, who's known to be a relatively even-keeled manager. He completely lost his mind and had to be restrained when ejected over arguing that crap call. It was terrible. Which was probably every Canadian's favorite moment in that game last night. You remember that garbage call in the World Series? I think it was in 85 with the Cardinals and KC where he was like two feet from the bag there, and it was just... It's that level of terrible. It's as bad as that perfect game. The pitcher from Detroit, uh, Joyce, was the umpire who was that Verlander. No, back then it was um, no, it wasn't. I forget his name off the top. And he's never done anything since. But literally two outs into a perfect game, and, right? And right. then that terrible call at the end of it, and two outs left, and uh, yeah, 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 one out to go. I think it was that would have been the third out, and then he, I think he struck the next guy out, something like that. It was a, it was crazy. We'll though. See if we can look that up. Yeah, terrible. Just a terrible call. Well, it's it's just, I, I think people, even though you go to a hockey game and you hear them laying on the refs about, you know, you're blind, put on your glasses. And a lot of times I, I think the fans are right, okay? But I think fans are also a little more understanding given the pace of the game and the difficulty in officiating that game. When you're standing with a huge chest protector in one spot behind a plate, and you're uh, like 
two feet away from the strike zone and you have your own version of the strike zone. Look, we've dealt with this forever. It's ridiculous. It's the egos of these guys. I, they have bigger egos than the players, for crying out loud. Somehow these robots are going to be implemented. It brings me back to Kate, Kate Upton, who basically solved the issue for you, Scoop. Her tweet and the reason I had mentioned her, she said he wasn't within the base path. Those who don't know the rules, you have to run inside the two lines. Not sure why the review is taking so long. I didn't see to the letter of that necessarily. I don't know. To the letter of was 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 it as she described? She was technically right on the rule, but I mean, no, it was just a crap call. And we just it just was. And what does it matter if he didn't really have the ball in possession anyway? Half the time, those lines are gone as you get into the game, anyways, and you just you try to stay within a foot or so of it, and I think you're fine. It was Armando Galarraga, by the way, with that near perfect game. Thank you. I would have never pulled that out of my subconscious. That was the noise you heard when Matt dropped the phone trying to hand it to me because I wasn't really looking. It was ultimately my fault and it slipped. There you go. Bad call. Bad call all the way. No perfect game for you. I want... Fumble! (laughs) Baker Mayfield! I want Walgreens to win tonight. I'm kind of excited. I I mean, Joe Torre was sitting right there. Trey Turner even said that. Why can't you just go ask him when all that nonsense was going on with the replay and trying to rectify that. And See, Canadians would have liked it if, you know, he would have actually come out there and fought with the umpires. Yeah, I know. Strasburg, man, amazing, though. He did admit in the first inning he was tipping his pitches, and he said he corrected that. That's what led him to be able to go on the rest of the game, pitch the way he did. He said he just started shaking his glove a little bit. His, little his pitching coach actually told him, hey, I think you're doing this. Yeah. So address this now. And I think it was only three hits the rest of the way after that. And as you know, if you're paying attention, Houston is notorious for being able to pick up things like that. And when somebody's tipping the pitches even a little bit, Houston's probably the best. The the players on that team are the best in the game at determining what you're throwing. I'm just hoping it's a good game because those three shellackings at Nationals Park were boring. Last night was exciting. I want that. I want entertainment. I want a great game. I want what you imagine uh, an action-packed, dramatic game seven to be. Cubs Indians a couple years ago, you know, didn't end in my favor as a tribe fan, but that was an exciting game. You can't dispute that. Yeah, blowouts unless it's your team winning are not necessarily fun to watch. Up next, as promised, Brendan Burke, the voice of the New York Islanders on MSG networks, and occasionally the national voice on NBCSN joins us on the SportsZilla Show, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. It's the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. It's the RomanoCars.com Quad Show, News Channel 9 and ESPN Syracuse. Stephen Fonte and James Monroe giving you a last-minute breakdown of SU versus BC from the Quad 11 to noon on Saturday. I'm very excited that I get to use this. You ready? I'm bringing Berkey back. We'll give him a flashback. He was on the train back to his house after calling the game last night when Brendan Burke, who normally, as we told you, is the voice, the play-by-play guy for the New York Islanders on the MSG Network, was the national voice for the NHL last night on NBCSN, calling my favorite team, the New York Rangers, against the Syracuse Crunch's NHL affiliate, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So uh, you drew the short straw. Why'd you agree to do this, Brendan? (laughs) <laughs> with you guys? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I, I literally had nothing better to do. Yeah. You must, you, you <laughs> clearly have the day I off. Tried. And, 
I tried to find something better. I just couldn't. Yeah, you, well, maybe I'm, I'm assuming that the little baby Burks and Mrs. Burke, you might have something to do, and you got a couple of minutes. We really appreciate the time. It's great to uh, give you, I don't know, deja vu all over again. We used to throw that bringing Berkey back thing when you were covering the Comets. Of course, they played the Crunch a lot. Throw, us, uh, throw the Syracuse Crunch fans listening right now because our history started in the Utica market, even on Sportzilla when it was on ESPN in Utica, Rome. Uh, but throw them a bone. Let them know you've called some games in that building. You're very familiar with the crunch and what they're doing. Called the Lightning uh, Rangers last yeah, night. Yeah, Lightning Rangers last night. Yeah, I mean, I did the uh, the All-Star game there on mm-hmm. radio, I think, when Dan Duva was still hanging around. And Dan was uh, was doing the, the ice-level stuff on the TV side. And before I took over the play-by-play stuff on the TV side, I did a, an All-Star game there on the radio. And, yeah, I mean, I've hit my head many a time in that press box. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, that was one of the... That explains it. That was one of the strangest... <laughs> yeah. It is one of the strangest setups of, of a broadcast area, I guess, in any barn. But take us through what you saw from the Rangers and some of the flack that you got from, you know, your diehard Islanders fans. It was pretty funny on social media. We were reading some of the responses you got for having to step over the line for the night. Yeah, it's one of those things that uh, it doesn't matter if they're not playing. I mean, you'll hear a Rangers sucks chat of the Islanders game when they're they're not in the building. I mean, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Rangers and Islanders fans don't don't get along, and so they don't like that line being crossed. And um, this is my fourth year with the Islanders, and the first time I had uh, you know been asked by NBC to call a Ranger game, and I just I figured they would uh, have some some fun with it. I don't think anybody really took it too seriously, but everybody enjoyed giving me a hard time for for crossing that line, I guess, and, and calling a Ranger game, even though I was calling a lightning game just as much as I was calling a Ranger game. That's how it works on NBC. But, um, so it was fun. It, it was, it was, it's a fun night. And, you know, for me that if that game was in St. Louis or that game was in Chicago, uh, and they asked me to do it great, but I didn't even have to get on a, I didn't have to get on a plane. I didn't have to spend a night in a hotel. So it was a home game for me without having to actually go anywhere. So that was, uh, that was nice. And then the game, was good. It, it, not that I was surprised that it was good, but um, you know, you talk about the reigning president's trophy winners and a, and a rebuilding Rangers, and you don't necessarily know what to expect. But uh, you know, that Ranger team was was ready to go. They were, um, I guess, responding to David Quinn's comments when he called out their effort from Sunday against Boston, and they looked pretty good in the process. Let's talk about your Islanders. Was it seven or eight in a row they've won now? It's seven. Do we have to? Yes, we have to. I'm kidding. This is what he spends most of his time doing, is calling games for the Islanders. You might be an expert. Yeah, tell us about the Islanders, Brennan. Oh, they're right. (laughs) Thank you very much. Deep deep analysis, yeah. We'll we'll see you guys next time. Uh, You know, it's it's funny. It's the early part of the season. It's still... I was... Not that I was surprised by it, but, you know, all last season, all of the attention the Islanders got was oh, here's the surprise team that wasn't supposed to make the playoffs and look at them go, but I don't think they can sustain it. And then they sustained it, and people go, well, I don't think they can really do much in the playoffs. And then they swept the Penguins. And then, you know, it was just every single step of the way, it was having to prove people wrong. And then this year, all of the preseason talk was, well, let's see if they can do it again. I don't think they can do it again. And that was the theme coming into the year. And again, you know, people are somewhat surprised that this team continues to do what they've done for the last year plus, and that's play strong, sound defensive hockey, get good goaltending, score enough to win games, you know, and they've won seven in a row. I mean, and, and case in point with this seven-game winning streak, I'd probably say 
they were outplayed. If you were just going to look at the game and say who was the better team, they were probably outplayed in four of the seven games. But their M.O. is hanging around in games where they're not the better team and just finding a way to get it done. And that's what they've done here on this seven-game stretch. So um, I still think there's a lot of work to be done. I still think Barry Trotz uh, is looking at the tape going, boy, we've got some things to clean up. But at the same time, you like to be able to teach those lessons to a team while they're winning and not have to have them go through a seven-game losing streak in order to get them to pay attention. So talk about this team you saw last night, Tampa Bay, who will face the Islanders in two nights. Tomorrow night, the Tampa Bay, of course, has to play the Devils tonight, and then they got to play the Islanders tomorrow night, so maybe a little tired. But talk about the challenges that the Islanders will face with, uh, face with the Lightning. Yeah. Can I just say how nice it was that NBC paid me to do my homework for Friday? That was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already already ready to go for Friday night against the Lightning. Uh, the Islanders were in a four-day break, so I, I will do uh, the Rangers out Lightning on Tuesday and the Islanders Lightning on Friday with nothing in between, which is nice. But, um, you know, that Tampa Bay team, I think that um, I don't really know. Uh, they're better than they're playing. Um, they're still the same team that was just steamrolling the National Hockey League last year. Um, I think that they are going through some adjustments that they haven't really taken hold of uh, to this point for John Cooper. I think that they they got their way call in the playoffs last year and realized that they can't just be a wild and free, we're going to score seven if you score six type of team because that game doesn't really work in the playoffs. And so in an effort to try and play a more complete game, I think they've taken some of the fun out of their offense and thus they're still adjusting to try and find that balance of being able to score, being responsible in the defensive end, um, and still playing the way they normally play. Now, their special teams have been atrocious. That's uh, Well, certainly their penalty kill uh, has been atrocious. Their power play has been probably good by everybody else's stretch of imagination, but for Tampa Bay, it's just pedestrian. So um, once their their special teams kick in, they were 85% of the PK last year. They're under 70% right now. So that's a lot of goals against, and they take a lot of penalties. So if they can clean up just that one aspect, they're going to win a lot more games. And if they can figure out how to blend that offense together with it, um, you know, they're going to be in the hunt for the President's Trophy again before not too long. Brendan Burke, voice of the New York Islanders with the MSG Networks on the Sportzilla Show. Scoop and Rain along with you on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. I just um, imagine that Tampa Bay team without Vasilevsky in goal because he stood on his head last night, even though the result was obviously not in his favor with a 4-1 to Rangers lead. Can we just talk about the Rangers real quick since I just got a couple minutes left with you, Berkey, and you happened to call the game last night. First of all, seven players in the lineup for the Rangers last night, under 21. They are really, truly rebuilding, but they do have a ton of talent. Just look at the Hartford Wolfpack with Shesterkin, who's kind of replicating the numbers he had in the KHL with Russia. His save percentage is about 95%. Goals against is just a tick over one. But then the lineup itself, I mean, that's the future that's going to that's gonna join these guys that were on the ice last night. Heedle looked good. Kako, Fox, Truba, on down the line. Georgiev in goal. Uh, you're going to have a battle in goal when, when Henrik hangs them up eventually. Just an overall consensus of what you saw from the Rangers moving forward, Brendan. Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned the seven guys, 21 or younger. I mean, that's that's remarkable. It's just the third time in franchise history the Rangers have played a game with three players uh, or, or seven players that age or younger. Just, uh, you know, so just to show what, um, I guess, how unique it is to be playing with such a young lineup. 
Uh, and, you know, it, it, it doesn't feel, I guess it, it, it feels like a long time ago that the Rangers sent out that letter to their season ticket holders basically declaring the rebuild, but they, they rebuilt in a hurry. Uh, you know, they, they drafted high. Um, you know, it hasn't worked out with Kratsov yet. He went back to Russia, yep. and, and that's fine. He's still 18, 19 years old, so there, there's still time there. But, you know, you're talking about um, these, this infusion of young players and Capo Caco being one of them, um, you know, but they get Adam Fox signed, and they've kind of built this new nucleus that um, they've surrounded around, you mentioned Truba and obviously Panarin and those guys that are signed long-term. So you can kind of see the direction that they're headed in, but there's still a lot of eggs in a very young and breakable basket right now. So they may not be able to do what people are hoping they can do and surprise people and get in the playoffs this year just because, you know, from, you know, and you guys know from watching the American Hockey League, the, the struggle with young players is always consistency. It's always, wow, you played great last night. Now do it again tonight. And a lot of times they can't. And sometimes when they play five games and they play three good ones and two bad ones, that's not good enough. And so that's why a lot of players in the American League level are at the American League levels because they can't do it five nights in a row. And so when you've got these young guys, it takes them a while to get going. Now, that being said, I think David Quinn is the perfect coach to be in there, a guy that has dealt with young players throughout his career. And he's got great experience with Lindy Ralph on the bench and on the other side of things. So, um, you know, they're, they're certainly set up for the future, but it is, uh, it is still, I think, a long-term plan, despite what a lot of Ranger fans want to happen is, uh, you know, kind of hit the gas pedal now that Panarin's in the fold and kind of speed things up. But it's still, uh, still going to be a process for that team. I think you nailed it, you know, with a comparison to the AHL, Brendan, because the, Ra- <laughs> the Rangers get up for the Tampa Bay Lightning, who on paper is the same team as last year, a very good team. And then just the other day, the 8-1-1 and Buffalo Sabres, who have been a surprise to a lot of people, but they've been a very good team this year. They get up for those games, but then play down to their competition. It's a very common thing. Brendan, thank you very much for the time. We're going to reach out again in the future. Hopefully uh, we won't get the text that says new, new phone, who this next time. <laughs> just try, try to figure it out on the day off. And, 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 and bring me on when I'm not talking about the Rangers, all right? Enough about the Rangers. That's a deal. Say <laughs> say hello to the baby Berkeys and Mrs. Berkey for us. Have a great rest of your day, Brendan Burke. Voice, yes. Brendan Burke, voice of the Oilers on the sport, uh, voice of the Islanders. I have a feeling the Islanders will give us a reason to talk Islanders hockey with Brendan. It's going to happen. They're a good team this year. They really are. It's they've done it right. Good coaching. Look, or they've rebuilt that organization as well. There's a lot of great things going on with them with the new arena and getting some games back in Uniondale. It's 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 a good time to be a member of that organization. They've got good ownership now. They made that change in the last few years. Sportzilla Show, ESPN Radio, ninety-seven point seven and one hundred point one Syracuse basketball. We'll recap last night's game next. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio, ninety-seven point seven and one hundred point one. Here's Rain and Scoop. ESPN Syracuse has a special watch party for the Syracuse basketball opener, starting the ACC schedule. Right off the bat, first game of the year against Virginia, defending national champions next Wednesday. So Lawrence Moe and Eric Devendorf, Roosevelt Bowie, and Dale Shackelford are going to join Seth Goldberg in our Armory Square studios, and they're going to react live to the action during the game. And you can watch this on twitch.tv slash Talk starting at 8.45 when the game happens. Scoop. Last night, exhibition action. The Orange getting a win over the Carlton Ravens. 77-58. Very good team out of Canada. You know, I quipped yesterday. They were playing the kid from Fresh Prince at Bel Air, you know, uh, the Carlton dance and all that. 
but they're actually a very good team. They're the powerhouse of Canada, really. Did you notice that I, I wrote in there they played the Carlton Banks? That was just for you. <laughs> I don't know if you even noticed that. I hadn't noticed that. No, I, I did not notice that. I screen capped the guys a picture of myself in a Walgreens hat. I'm sorry, it was a Washington Nationals hat to try to make them laugh. They went right over that one, too. Blue guy, did you catch that? I did. Did yeah. you laugh? Yeah. Think I'm an idiot? Sure. You're right, I am. But the Orange started the game cold, not making a lot of shots, just 5 of 15 from the field. Something we've seen before, something we don't like to see. You like to come out of the gate hot and and keep that tempo up and the the ball's going in the basket. They shot a lot better in the previous game against Damon. They did they did warm up though. Ultimately Elijah Hughes and Buddy Beheim combining for 25 first half points, but Beheim's 12 buddies all of his were in the first half ultimately in the game. So that was when he really contributed. He hit the two three-pointers back to back and that seemed to be the spark that got things going. Uh, Buddy Beheim actually commented, Scoop, on what they learned during exhibition play. We just learned that we're a really capable team scoring the ball. We can shoot really well. I think one of the best, better shooting teams in the country. And just, just all, it all comes with defense. Uh, tonight we played really solid after the first five minutes on defense, and that showed that translated to the offensive end. And just always moving and, and making sure we're in the right place at the right time is something important for us. And I think that defense is going to be what we need to depend on come, come season time because the offense will be there. It's all about making plays on the defensive end. And, of course, Buddy, number 35, his father's old number, in the starting lineup. Jalen Carey struggled a little bit. Point guard, Elijah Hughes, Quincy Garrier, and Barama Sidibe was your starting lineup. I don't know if that's going to be the starting lineup against Virginia. You have to think. It looks like it might be, but there's some options on this team. I don't know how short that rotation will be traditionally. Wait, he's, uh, Jim's talking 8, 9, 10 guys, 10 max, I think. And he does that every year, and then it seems to, doesn't it always seem to shrink up more to that 6, 7, 8 range? I mean, 6, eh, well, let's go with 7. Generally, they say averages out about 7 guys. But I hope he does, because I think that bodes well for the team as you get deeper into the season, keeping the legs fresh. And you need fresh legs to play defense, more important. And if you're going to be shooting more, you need your legs late in games when you're relying on the three-pointer. I'm being master of the obvious, but. And it's one week from tonight, the opener with Virginia at the Dome, 9 p.m. on the ACC Network. So these exhibition games, Italy, all that, leading up to this big game a week from tonight. And they've probably learned some things about what they have. But this is a process that Coach Beheim very often talks about with these freshmen, especially, growing into a role. And the Orange are going to need considerable contributions from those guys. But you don't know yet what you're going to get. Those guys are going to either rise to the moment or maybe not. And maybe a little of both at times. I talk to Jim Beheim for the past 20 seasons every Tuesday, Scoop, and I will be combining those efforts this season. Starting next Tuesday, we'll have a chance to hear directly from Jim Beheim right here on the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. And out of his out of his mouth, out of Jim's mouth, to answer those rotation questions that we just discussed. We're going to play the guys it takes to win. If it's six, that's what it'll be. If it's five, that's what it'll be. Seven, eight, one. And I'm going to figure that. And whatever I decide to do, that's what we'll do. And uh, if somebody doesn't like it, they're going to have to get another coach in here. 
but I don't care what people think and say or how many people they think we should play. Go, Jim. We play the people we think that we can win a game, and we wanted to win this game. We wanted to win again the other game. And if somebody gets in and does a good job, you know, they're going to play. If they don't, they're going to be out. We're going to play guys that can help us win, and I think it could be 8-9. It, it possibly possibly could get to 10, but it's more likely that it's going to be 8 or 9. Scoop, it's like you and I pay attention to the things that Jim said. You're arguing the 8 or 9. I'm, I'm knocking it back, tempering expectations realistically to the 6-7, something in that. Can I just say... I love Surly Jim. I do too. That's my favorite Jim Beheim right there. It really is. Because, you know, I'm a member of the media. I'm not really a journalist, but I really enjoy when he just pokes at, at, at guys and, and press people that ask questions and he gets irritated. And sometimes, you know, he just thinks the questions are dumb. I mean, we, <laughs> so when you ask him, are you going to play man to man defense? Is that considered a dumb question? That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm like, like, we don't get it. Why you would do that? Because you know, he's going to play the two, three zone. I'm well, just that's, saying sometimes it's poking the bear. I, I think some people just enjoy poking the bear. I think that meant two things. I wanted to talk about Joe Girard out of Adirondack. He, I mean, the dude was winning state championships in football, let alone basketball, a little bit smaller in stature, but clearly, a high basketball IQ, knows how to play the game, and known for being able to really shoot the basketball. He can shoot the three. Talking about that rotation, 14 points, five out of seven overall, three out of four from three-point range, played 16 minutes. If he feels like Joe Girard can win him a game, I'm, I think it's fantastic that we'll get to see him in that Syracuse lineup. Love seeing him succeed. Love seeing Buddy Bayheim prove the nepotism doubters wrong because Buddy Bayheim can play basketball, let me tell you. And he may silence some doubters this year, and the Orange are going to need him to do that. They're going to need him to hit consecutive threes or three of them in a row. You know, they're going to need him to get hot. This team is about threes this year. Buddy said it. We're a good shooting team. We think we're one of the best in the country. Guys like him and Joe Girard, and I mean, there's just... The, the entire roster, Elijah Hughes, he's got to hit the threes. I mean, he's done it before. We'll see what they got. Can't wait till the Virginia game. One quick 15-second basketball note before our break. The Knicks have two players, Reggie Bullock and Dennis Smith, both lost very close family members in like the last three days. Boy, sometimes life is more important than sports. I always remember that. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted to put that out there. Condolences to the Knicks family. It's hard for even your teammates to go out and play basketball when you know two of your brothers are struggling with something like that off the court. Hope they take as much time as they need. ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. It's the SportsZilla Show. Back to talk the NFL next. It's the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. The Romano Subaru pregame show on Saturday. Seth Goldberg and Brent Axe getting you ready for SU Boston College Live from Shaughnessy's in the Marriott Syracuse downtown. They're going to share with you all the experts who have been weighing in on ESPN Syracuse Radio all throughout the week, including head coach Dino Babers. Scoop and Rain going to talk a little NFL, some headlines. Trent Williams has ended his season-long holdout. He's rejoining the Redskins. Baker Mayfield of the Browns. In a testy exchange with a Browns reporter, Tony Grossi, today. Hey, pause right there because you're a Browns fan and you said you know a little something, some background on that reporter. And of course, well, Tony Grossi is not well liked in a lot of circles of the media or of 
of teams, professional sports teams. I've enjoyed reading him over the years, but he's the guy sometimes just asks the question that gets under the athlete's skin. It's not the first time he's done this. Not the first time this has happened. Uh, probably the first time we've seen Baker Mayfield get like this. I don't recall another occasion. Maybe it's happened, but uh, he got a little frustrated with Tony Grossi today uh, when talking about the end of the first half. And Baker, were you happy with how that failed drive ended? You know, like, well, of course not. You know. So what you're saying, what you're saying, glue guy, glue guy, Matt, are you with me on this? What yeah. you're saying is, or what we're saying is, we get it. We totally get it. Do you get it? I do. You get it? I think that that's funny. And like they said, enjoy this, enjoy this moment, and have fun with it. Aha, ha, ha, ha. Never a bad moment for a Kawhi Leonard laugh. You know what else? It, it's interesting to me. Uh, the Steelers did dismissed a couple of players. Uh, another headline that you had brought to my attention. One was uh, for... Well, they didn't They didn't dismiss them. Their, their charges got... Okay. Dropped. Like okay. there's... There's linebacker Anthony Chiquillo. He had a domestic violence thing going on, uh, and they his girlfriend. I don't think he's married to her, but they went and they talked to the prosecutor. Neither of them wanted to pursue any of the charges, so it was withdrawn, which is a story we hear very often in these domestic violence situations. Uh, and then running back Benny Snell had some drug charges dropped. Gotcha. I, I believe it was weed, uh, but he may still face some punishment from the NFL because of their conduct policy. There is a lot of stuff like that still happening in the NFL. Staying in the AFC North, obviously, Andy Dalton got benched yesterday. Yeah. It was his birthday. Really? He and, got benched on his 32nd birthday. And Bengals wide receiver A.J. Green says he wants a long deal, long-term deal, or he wants out of Cincinnati. Wait, what, did, what, are the other, what was the other one there, Jamal Adams? Jamal uh, Adams. He was hurt because the Jets listened to offers for him at the deadline, and then he said, quote, the Rams don't take calls on Aaron Donald and the Patriots don't take calls on Tom Brady because, well, that's because they're not you, Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams, you are not in that tier of player at all. I guarantee you Bill Belichick has taken calls about Tom Brady. Oh, I guarantee it too. At some point in time. So I, his premise there, I, I fault that premise. Everybody's got a price, even for Tom Brady. Everybody. I mean, if the return is good enough... You're going to you'll you'll do it. Now Belichick, Belichick it. probably laughs and hangs up as they're taking phone calls for him. But I'm sure someone's made an offer before. Well, and, and probably not recently, but there was a time there about a year or so ago where yep. I think maybe they were thinking, well, can we move him? It was when Jimmy Garoppolo right. was still on the team. Belichick says something effective. I was on my way to Cincinnati, but wait a minute. Who are you offering? What are you offering? What picks are you throwing in? Let me consider that. Ha, ha, ha. And then he hangs up the phone. Correct. That's pretty much what happens, I think. I think. Concussions and CTE was something that you mentioned to me that you would wanted to mention very quickly in our football segment before we get out of here tonight. Well, New York lawmakers met Tuesday in New York City to discuss banning kids under the age of 12 playing tackle football. This is becoming a conversation because of the CTE, yeah. the concussions, and the brain injuries. And there's some interesting research on this with regards to the concussions. A lot of us think it's the concussions that lead to the CTE, but the research says that may not matter. It's repeated blows to the head of any kind that appear to be increasingly a cause of degenerative brain disease later in life. And uh, some estimates, kids have 500 hits to the head per child 
per season. We got to dig into this deeper uh, next time we get together on the Sports Illustrated Show. I love the human aspect, the dead spin angle on sports. I say viva la dead spin. Keep it going the way it's been. Don't change it. The Sports Illustrated Show, ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. See you tomorrow at 3.